It's been on my heart for the last couple months, this whole topic of hope. And, and my goal this morning is, is just simply to remind us of the blessed hope we have in Christ. I think it's easy when we get into the grind of daily life and go through struggles. It's easy to take our, our, our sights off of that hope that we have. And um, I have a feeling that some people listening online uh, need to be reminded of this hope. And I have a feeling some of us sitting here need to be reminded of that hope. I need to be reminded. Uh, you know, there's a scripture, 1 Corinthians 13:13, 13, 13, that states, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You know, I think of these three greatest virtues. We spend a lot of time in our Christian life and in church talking about our faith and focusing on love. And I think sometimes we often lose sight of our hope. Um, one of the reasons I chose hope this morning um, is because over the last few months I've seen a lot of heartache and despair. And I'm not talking about the heartache and despair that we saw in Haiti. And there's plenty of that to go around. And I'll share a little bit about that later. But I've seen heartache here in our own church. I've seen heartache in my neighborhood with my next-door neighbors. I've seen heartache in my workplace. And we see increasing heartache and despair in our world. Let me share just a few examples of, of what I mean as I start this morning. Um, Sherry Worrell, my boss at Stony Brook, she's the superintendent at Stony Brook Christian School, writes a weekly blog every, um, she calls them her Monday musings. Um, some of you might read them. Uh, when I was in Haiti, this is the Monday, uh, Monday musing that she posted. I just want to read an excerpt because um, I think it hits home with what I've been feeling. Uh, it says, a Monday musings dated July 25th, a litany of sadness. Today was just an average day in the life of a Christian school administrator, but as I was reflecting on the events of the past 24 hours, my heart was getting heavier and heavier by the minute. In one single day, I was made aware of a whole boatload of very discouraging news. It was a litany of sadness. There was the mom who was trying to regain custody of her children. There was the other mom who has custody but has nowhere to live. There was the adult child who was still struggling to come to grips with the sense of her aging father and the aging grandfather uh, that would love to rescue his grandkids from an abusive situation. There was the family whose marriage was in jeopardy and the other family whose divorce is so acrimonious that the children have to go on government insurance in order to get health care. There's the couple who can no longer tolerate emailing each other. The teacher has to be the go-between. There's the mom with breast cancer, the dad with prostate cancer. There's the family that lost their home and had to move into a tiny apartment with their in-laws. Uh, there's the alumni who had a terrible workplace accident and needs my prayers. All these things are heartbreaking. But the list of discouraging reminders that we all live in a fallen world, I might add this note about brokenness, it has a purpose. She references Romans 5 that we're going to look at in a minute. I don't always know what that purpose is, but my trust but I trust my heavenly Father, and he knows. She goes on to quote Psalm 62. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. I don't know about you, if you can relate to this, but there just seems to be a lot of heartache lately. Either you've gone through trials or you know people who are going through trials. Um, I became a Facebook fan this summer, um, and I'll probably go off it now that I'm going back to work. Uh, but on my vacation, I got reacquainted with one of my best friends from high school. 
I haven't seen him in about 15 years. He's living in Hawaii now. And uh, getting reacquainted, tell him about church, tell him I'm going on this Haiti trip. And then he replied to me, oh, you still believe in all that stuff. I gave up on that a whole long, a long time ago. And I went on to kind of make fun of our Christian faith. It's disheartening. Someone that I grew up in church with, to lose his faith, lose his hope, and is involved in things I can't even share with you now. Uh, my heart breaks for that. We need to be reminded of the blessed hope we have in Christ. Uh, many of you probably joined my habit of reading the Drudge Report every day. Um, for those of you that don't know, the Drudge Report is just a website that compiles all the headlines from all the different newspapers. And I'm telling you, I can't read that without thinking the Lord's coming back tomorrow. <laughs> it's depressing. You know, we look at our world news, and, um, and I really believe we might be living in the last times. You know, that's my talk, not Scripture or anybody else. You know, but, uh, um, you know, thinking about hope, I don't know if you got in the mail this week, um, this little booklet. Anybody get this booklet in the mail, or did it just come to me? It must have just come to me. It's amazing when you're thinking about a topic, how that topic just you know, invades every aspect of your life. So I'm writing my message. I get home from work. I go check the mail. And this book is in the mail called Never Forget Hope. And it's a compilation of different pastors. And uh, Billy Graham wrote something in here I thought was pretty, pretty insightful. He quotes from his book, um, Hope for the Troubled Heart. And he writes, This is the generation that will pass through the fire. It is the generation under the gun. This is the tormented generation. This is the generation destined to live in the midst of crisis, danger, fear, death. Uh, we are people under the sentence of death waiting for a date to be set. We sense something is about to happen. We know that things cannot go on as they are. History has reached an impasse. We are now on a collision course. Something is about to give. I'm going, go, yeah, he's been reading the Drudge Report. And then I go on. He goes, I wrote this in 1965. <laughs> and it just kind of hit home. You know, every generation has its, its issues, I guess. You know, as long as we live in the sinful world, there's always going to be a sense of hopelessness and despair. And um, I believe more so now, and he goes on to explain the world that we live in now, but I thought that was a good reminder for me that every generation needs hope, not just today. You know, we do live in uncertain times, um, a time when hope seems to be increasingly fading away, but as Christians, we need to be reminded the blessed hope we have in Christ. Um, so with that, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word, the promises in your word. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is our hope. Lord, I pray this morning, in the few minutes I have, that you will speak through me, that your spirit, spirit will uh, effectively communicate your, your truth from your word about the hope that we have. So we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why do we need hope? What's hope all about? In his book, Hope Again, When Life Hurts and Dreams, Dreams Fade, I found this quote from Chuck Swindoll. Hope is something as important to us as water is to a fish, as vital as electricity is to a light bulb, as essential as air is to a jumbo jet. Hope is basic to life. Without that need, needed hope, a spark of hope, we are doomed to a dark, grim existence. How often do the word hopeless appear in suicide notes? And even if it isn't actually written, we can read it between the lines. Take away our hope, and our world is reduced to something between depression and despair. Hope is more than wishful thinking. Hope is a vital necessity of life, a gift that God wants to give to you. 
And in a world that regularly writes dreams off as foolish and, and drains the hope from the heart of the dark with, with dark pessimism, biblical hope is a voice crying in the wilderness, a word of enthusiasm for life in the midst of any difficult situation you are in. If you want to smile through your tears, if you want to rejoice through times of suffering, just keep reminding yourself that what you're going through isn't the end of the story. It's simply the rough journey that leads right to the right destination. Solid, stable, sure hope. Hope to press on, hope to endure, hope to stay focused, hope to see new dreams fulfilled. I really like that quote. I think it sets a good backdrop for what Scripture is going to teach us here. Um, You know, as I did my studies, there's over 150 passages that talk about hope in the Bible. And I thought since I have a couple hours here, we'll just... Just kidding. Um, The New Testament word for hope is elpizo. Not that that means anything significant to you. um, But the word itself means to expect or to trust or to have a strong confidence in, to be sure. Biblical hope can be defined as having reliance on God's blessing and provision and the expectation for future good to look forward to with confidence or expectations. Interesting, as I was doing my studies um, on what does the Bible say about hope, that hope is often coupled with tribulation. In one passage it says to rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. In Romans it talks about um, tribulation developing character and character hope. Um, In Hebrews, it talks about hope being the anchor to our soul. Um, And in the midst of tribulation, we have that strong, sure um, anchor. And we're going to talk about those things this morning. You see, biblical hope is certain, it's sure, it's something we can take to the bank. Unlike the hope the world has to offer. The hope the world has to offer is an uncertain expectation. We can hope that I get something cool for Christmas. We can hope and dream in our future here that we'll get that job, that we'll get that raise. Um, that our kids turn out well, you know, but that's nothing certain about that. You know, it's, it's uncertain. And, and the, the hope I want you to take home today is the hope we can um, bank on in Christ, not the world's hope that ends in disappointment and most times shattered dreams. So let's take a look at a few verses. What does the Bible say about our hope? First and foremost, if you don't hear anything else, you've got to know that Christ is our hope. Quite simply, 1 Timothy 1.1 states, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and and the Lord Jesus Christ, comma, our hope. In a nutshell, our hope is Christ. Christ is the object of our hope and the object of our faith. What else do we hope for? Scripture tells us that we hope for a new body and we hope for Christ's return. This life is so temporal. Romans 8, 23 and 24 says, Even ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the the redemption of our body, we were saved in this hope. Don't forget that. We're going to get a new body one day. Amen? (laughs) Um, Christ is going to return. We have that hope. It's certain. What else do we hope for? We hope for eternal life. 1 Titus 1 and 3 states, in, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We hope for eternal life. Life does not end here on this earth. This is just the beginning. Your life's never going to end. It's eternal. Eternal life 
spent with our Savior, Jesus Christ. What else does Scripture tell us is our hope? Our hope is in God's Word and His promises. Psalm 19, if, I encourage you to go home and read that whole psalm. It's just filled with the hope that we have. Here's just an example, verses 114 to 116. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word that I might live. And do not let me be ashamed of my hope. We have a hope that God's word and his promises are true. And the list can go on and on and on. Um, In my studies, I was pretty encouraged by a lot of the adjectives that the Bible describes about our hope. Just listen to these. In 1 Peter 1.3, it describes us as having a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Not only do we have a living hope, but we have a blessed hope. Second, or Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not only do we have a living and blessed hope, but we have a good hope. Second Thessalonians, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and God our Father, who has loved us and given us an everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. And we have a better hope than the world offers. Hebrews, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there's the bringing on of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And in Romans 5, which we're going to look at here, we have a hope that does not disappoint. We have a living hope, a blessed hope, a good hope, a better hope. And you know who that hope is? That hope is the person of Jesus Christ. We have a hope that doesn't disappoint. See, the world's hope disappoints. Christ's hope doesn't. Um, when I was in Haiti, and the team was in Haiti, I was reminded, I saw firsthand a hope that does not disappoint. And I invite you to open your Bibles with me, um, or look on the screen, to Romans chapter 5. This is a passage that just kept coming to my mind over and over again as the week was going on in Haiti. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. I think this passage epitomizes um, the work that Christ is doing in Haiti. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with our God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we We also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and get this, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. What a great passage. What a great passage of hope. And again here it's coupled with tribulation. I saw firsthand the hope of dreams being fulfilled in Haiti. Not a worldly hope, but only a hope that can come from God. You know, Mike and Carrie have been going to Haiti now for several years, and we've been, had the privilege to join with them on these different trips. And the work they've been doing and the tribulation and the trials and the struggles they've faced, going just at first, not knowing Jimmy or these boys, but just going to start a relationship, not knowing what the future would hold, um, 
to see the hope in these kids at this Sanfon Dakai house now. Um, two years ago, they were living on the streets, not knowing where the next meal would come from. Trials, persecution, tribulation. Step in God's love via Mike and Carrie and others. See these kids now living in a home, getting food, getting an education, getting to hear God's word on a radio, getting to read God's word, uh, getting to go to a vacation Bible school where several gave their lives to Christ. They have a hope and a character um, and a future. The scripture talks about, you know, in Jeremiah, that God gives us a future and a hope. And I'm seeing that in Haiti. People have asked me, um, this is my second trip to Haiti, and before I went the first time, I would have said there's no way I'd ever go to Haiti. You know, Haiti's an evil place. Um, there's nothing good in Haiti. <laughs> that was my perception. And after having gone a couple times now, um, my perceptions were wrong. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who love the Lord in Haiti, and God is doing some incredibly great things in Haiti, evidenced um, by almost 100 kids coming to a knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and a faith in Him and have that blessed hope now. Seeing those kids make those backpacks you know, gives me hope that our church can partner with their churches and remind us of the hope that we have together in Christ. Um, it was just a beautiful thing to have see our coasters and youth and others spend countless hours coloring tirelessly, painfully, those backpacks. And to see these smile on these kids' faces, who, by the way, wore these backpacks until we left to the airport. I mean, they're still on their backs, um, as I think you saw in some of those pictures. Um, the wedding was a symbol of hope. I mean, it doesn't, hope doesn't get more visual than seeing that wedding. Um, seeing Jimmy, who was a street boy, grew up on the streets, enter Mike in God's love, see his life changed, and um, has a future and a hope. Um, and I, I can't stand up here and not talk about Pastor Pierre. Pastor Pierre is bringing hope to a lot of people in Haiti. If you don't know who Pastor Pierre is, he came about a year and a half ago, right after the earthquake, and spoke to our church. He runs the orphanage, is overseeing the ministry of the boys' home um, in Haiti, is a music minister at his, at his church. Um, it, and I hope I have permission to share this, Mike, but at one of the devotions at the hotel, Mike was sharing with us a little bit about Pastor Pierre's testimony. Um, I did not know that Pastor Pierre had been arrested several years ago. No wrongdoing of his own, just persecution. Spent eight days in prison. And during that eight days in prison, at the start of it, he was given the choice whether he wanted to keep his clothes or he wanted to keep a toilet. I don't know what I would have chosen. Um, he chose to keep a toilet. And I can't imagine the humiliation that must have been to spend eight days naked in prison. I don't know if I would have had the same hope that Pastor Pierre had. But the amazing part of the story is after that eight days in prison, some 30 people had given their lives to Christ including prison guards, naked in prison, rejoicing in hope in the tribulation and the persecution because it develops character and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. Um, I was teasing with Mike, and Mike probably echoes it, but you know, if Christ is sitting on the right hand, Pierre's on the left. Um, he is that close to God. Um, I compare him to a young Yvonne Nolisti, for those of you that know Yvonne. Um, 
hope exudes from every pore of his body. If I just had a little bit of the hope that Pierre has. All that to say that there is hope in Haiti. Yeah, there's a lot of despair and a lot of work to do, but God's doing some incredible things in that nation. And we have a hope that does not disappoint. If you ever get the chance to go and be a part of bringing that hope, I encourage you to do so. Um, You won't be disappointed. Well, there's one final aspect of hope I'd like to camp on this morning, and that's the fact that the Bible describes our hope as an anchor. You all know what an anchor is. It's what keeps the ship secure in the port um, or in the sea. Um, The Bible describes our hope as an anchor to our soul. And of all my studies this week, this is the one passage that meant the most to me. It just something clicked about it that resonated, um, our hope being an anchor. So I invite you to turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 6. And Neil, I'm probably going to take this passage completely out of context. So I apologize in advance. You know, I always try to read the entire passage in, in Hebrew 6. is just brutal. <laughs> so I'm just going to go to the last three verses here and talk about the hope that it's summarizing. Verse 18, and it's even starting in the middle of a sentence, which I know isn't good a way to start. So Neil, just plug your ears. That by two immutable things, and I will tell you those two immutable things refer to God's word and God's promises, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered, even, entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. I'm not here to explain the first part of chapter 6. I'm here to focus on the hope that it's talking about, the hope that we have in Christ. Our hope is an anchor to our soul. What a beautiful and powerful picture, a visual, this is for us. Um, One commentary wrote about ancient anchors were much like modern ones. Uh, They had iron hooks to grapple the rocks and so hold on to prevent shipwreck. A vessel that is not securely anchored does not have much of hope of riding out a storm, a violent storm. Figuratively, as used in Hebrews, it speaks of that which provides security, support, stay, safeguard. The anchor refers to the hope generated by faith in the gospel, which enables the believer to stand firm in the face of temptations, calamities, and storm. What a beautiful picture that our hope, the hope we have in Christ, is an anchor. It's what keeps us grounded. Just as a side note, as I was kind of researching how anchors were used in ancient times, I didn't know this, that the anchor was actually a symbol of hope. And I believe um, that inscription up there is an inscription in one of the catacombs in Rome. See, the first century church, when they were facing persecution, they used the anchor as a symbol of hope. And in Many of the catacombs and epitaphs, that symbol can see more than any, more than any other symbol, was that the symbol of an anchor. I thought that was pretty interesting. I always thought it was the fish. I guess that didn't come until later. It started out as an anchor. And there's two fish up there, yes. It goes on to explain how our hope is an anchor and we'll become fishers of men. Um, 
This hope we have is not just an anchor to our soul, but it goes on to describe in Hebrews that it's sure and steadfast. Those words, sure and steadfast, carry the idea that our hope is secure, it's firm, it's safe, it's unshakable, it's certain, it's steady, it's immovable, and steadfast, which implies that our hope is reliable, it's trustworthy, you can count on it. Our hope is an anchor to our soul. The symbolism is so rich to me. When the trials and the storms in our life are stirring up the ocean around us, we can rest confident that we're anchored in the Word of God. We're anchored in His promises um, and the future that we have in Christ. We can be sure that this hope um, is sure and that God will do what He says. One author wrote, We can be anchored in the immutable, unchangeable, sure, and steadfast Word of God. It's our hope. That's what keeps us from being tossed to and fro in the storms of life. What a cool thought. But it doesn't end there. I thought that was, oh, cool, i got something cool to share. Here comes the cool part. Guess where our hope's anchored? You know, our hope's not just anchored in the sand. That's where ships anchor. Our hope is anchored in the very throne room of God. Set there by Christ himself, who is our forerunner. I'm like, well, what's a forerunner? So I go look it up. A forerunner in ancient times was a little boat. It was a vessel that would go out, that would be in port, and when the big ships would come out because of the, the weather and the inclement weather and the, and, and the tides and stuff, it would grab the anchor of those bigger boats and bring that anchor into port and securely fasten it. And Hebrews is describing Christ as our forerunner, and when there's a forerunner, something's sure to follow it, which is us. And he's taken our anchor, which is Christ, our hope, and gone behind the veil into the presence, the throne of God, and anchored our hope there. Do you guys know that? The hope we have in Christ isn't here. Our hope is secure in the very throne room of God. One commentary wrote, A forerunner is, de- is defined as one that proceeds or ascent as an advanced messenger, thus presupposing that others will follow. In this section of Hebrews, chapter 6, the writer dramatically pictures Jesus not only as the believer's anchor, but as a runner boat that has taken our anchor into port and secured it there and, and secured it safely in the harbor of heaven. Thus, every believer can now have complete assurance that his or her vessel is going to arrive successfully into the home port. Believers, in fact, now possess such a great hope in the presence of God, as stated in Hebrews 4, um, that we can now come be boldly before God's throne in mercy and grace. That gives me such great encouragement. Our hope is anchored in the throne room of God. It's sure. If this doesn't fill you with hope, I don't know what can. In conclusion, as believers in Christ, we have a blessed hope. We have a living hope. We have a good and better hope. We have a hope that does not disappoint. We have a hope that is an anchor to our soul. And my questions for you this morning is, what kind of hope do you have? Do you have this hope? Where is your hope anchored this morning? The world doesn't offer the kind of hope Christ does. And, you know, it's my fear that many of us forget that hope. We get so caught up in our own trials in life we forget that our hope is securely anchored in that throne room of God. No president can offer us that kind of hope. My hope's not in the stock market. My hope's not in the U.S.'s credit rating. 
My hope's not in the Drudge Report headlines. My hope's in Christ. It's this hope that allows us to endure through our current struggles because we're certain of a better future. Our hope is the light at the end of our tunnel that we call life. Um, I want to close with a story about Edward Moat. Anybody know who Edward Moat is? Mom? No? Wow. You're about to find out. You might not recognize the name, but the testimony of his life is one that should inspire us all. See, Moat was uh, not brought up in a godly home. And as you can tell from the picture, he's lived a long time ago. Um, In fact, his parents managed a pub in London and was often neglected by his parents. He spent most of his Sundays playing in the streets. He said um, of his childhood, he was so ignorant that he did not not even know that there was a God. Well, uh, Edward Mode eventually became a Christian at the age of 18. He was baptized, um, had a successful career as a cabinet maker, went on at 55 to be a pastor. He was pastor of Baptist Church in Horsham, Sussex, um, where you'll appreciate this, Neil. He didn't miss a Sunday behind the pulpit for 21 years. Yeah, pretty amazing. Um, But it was during his days as a carpenter on the way to work one day that he, a hymn came to mind. And he wrote this hymn on the way to work, four verses. Um, It's a hymn that I believe we're going to close with today, and we sang it about a month ago. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. Um, And it goes like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me with the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. My prayer for you today is that your hope is anchored in the very throne room of God, secured by Christ himself, that where Christ is now, you know you'll be going one day. And that according to Romans 15, 13, the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace and that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we, and that when you leave this place today, according to 1 Peter 3, you'll be able to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. If you're here today and you don't know what this hope is that I've been talking about, it's real easy to get. Simply place your faith in Jesus Christ, believe in his promises, and you'll have this hope. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. My friends, that is our hope. Once you place that faith in Jesus Christ, you have peace with God and a hope that does not disappoint. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Father, We thank you that you've given us a hope that cannot be shaken, irregardless of the circumstances of our life. 
our lives might be tossed upside down in, in this world, Lord. Life's tough and it might not get easier. But you've offered us eternal life and strength for every day and a hope that we can count on. Lord, let that hope be our anchor to our soul. Let us trust in that hope, be filled with that hope. Let us share that hope, what a blessed living hope it is. Thank you for the reminder of the hope that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.